a regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. So glad that you're with us on the program today. And we're going to be talking about, uh, well, we're going to be talking about the delusions, frankly, of uh, anti-gun politicians. In this case, we're talking about Democrats. Uh, You know, there are some anti-gun Republicans out there. There are a few unicorn pro-gun Democrats. But by and large, in this two-party system that we have, the Republicans are the party that uh, promote and support and defend our right to keep and bear arms, while the Democrats are the uh, party that tries to restrict and infringe on those rights. And uh, there is, well, California, I think, leads the way when we're talking about anti-gun states. But Colorado, I got to say, is getting up there. You know, back in 2013, the state of Colorado passed a a number of gun control bills, including a ban on, quote-unquote, large-capacity magazines, including universal background checks. uh, And they have continued over the past few years. Last year, the big push in the legislature was to repeal the state's firearm preemption law, which sets a uniform standard across the entire state, right? It's the state legislature that determines what the gun laws are, so you don't have this crazy patchwork quilt of gun laws, which you already kind of have in Colorado because Denver is considered a home rule city, so they've been allowed actually to have their own local gun laws on the books uh, for a, a, a number of decades now. Uh, But with the repeal of firearms preemption, gun control advocates were clearly hoping that they could do more, uh, not just in Denver, but around the country. And and the removal of firearms preemption also opened the door. It broadened the scope of the uh, anti-gun ordinances that the city of Denver can put in place. And Denver Mayor Michael Hancock has wasted little time in uh, calling for new gun control laws. So today, a uh, committee on the Denver City Council is expected to recommend that the uh, city impose a new ban on the lawful carrying of firearms in any city buildings, including those that are leased to the city, including those that are leased by the city, as well as Denver Parks. This is part of the mayor's 2022 Public Safety Action Plan. Uh, which also included, by the way, a ban on, quote-unquote, ghost guns, which hasn't done anything to reduce violent crime. Neither will this provision do anything to reduce violent crime. In fact, I would argue that a ban on the lawful carrying of firearms in public parks and, yes, in government buildings would only increase the likelihood of somebody becoming the victim of a violent crime. Um. According to Westward, the uh, alt-weekly paper there in Denver, uh, this ban, if passed, would ban firearms in the Colorado Convention Center. It would uh, also possibly lead to 300 days in jail upon a second violation of the rule. A first offense, a $50 fine, as the maximum penalty written into a state statute for a first strike, and then a second violation jumps up to a $999 fine and 300 days in jail. Again, for people who are legal gun owners who have a concealed carry license, but who are carrying in a publicly owned place, First of all, again, I got to think that this is going to be ripe for uh, litigation if it does end up passing. But again, think about this for a second. This isn't going to stop a single violent criminal 
But this will inhibit, prohibit, the ability of legal gun owners to protect themselves in public spaces. Now, one of the folks objecting to this idea is Dave Copel. He's the research director at the Independence Institute. He has been a guest on this program many times, a longtime friend uh, of the show and of myself as well. Uh, Dave quoted at uh, Westward as saying that uh, he thinks the city of Denver should wait until New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin uh, is handed down. That decision expected early June. Uh, he says, quote, they would certainly be better off avoiding litigation. The thinking being that there might be something in the Bruin decision that would have an impact on this proposed ordinance. Now, the Bruin case deals with the right to carry. Specifically, though, it deals with the issuance of carry permits in New York State and the discretionary may issue permits that are issued by the state where you've got to demonstrate a justifiable need. You've got to prove good cause to be able to exercise your Second Amendment rights. So on the face of it, the Bruin case doesn't really look like it would uh, have much of an impact on a proposed carry ban on, on you know where you can carry as opposed to who can carry. But I think Dave is on to something because one of the things that we are expecting from the Supreme Court decision is not just a ruling on the constitutionality of New York's May issue laws. That's important enough. But one of the things that I think a lot of folks like Dave are looking for is language in that opinion that will guide lower courts going forward. There have been a number of justices who, since the Heller decision came out, have complained that these lower courts are either ignoring the Heller decision completely, or they are interpreting the Heller decision to mean what they want it to mean, as opposed to what the majority actually said. And so I think, well, I hope, I think it's Copel's hope too, but I think there is a bit of an assumption on the part of many folks uh, that the court is going to address this issue, that they are going to lay out with some specificity uh, the standard of review that should be used when determining the constitutionality of gun control laws. Not just those laws related to the carrying of firearms, but laws impacting our right to both keep and bear arms. And in that regard, I think Copel's on to something. But the prospect of avoiding litigation, let's let's hold off for a couple months, see what the Supreme Court has to say. Look, that doesn't play well in democratic circles. <laughs> Not what they, what they see as a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Why would they wait? Particularly, again, when you've got gun control groups that will probably line up to represent the city of Denver pro bono uh, if, in fact, this new ordinance is challenged in court. And uh, Copel's objections not enough to sway one city council member, uh, Robin Nietzsche, who said, quote, I think our community is safer with fewer guns, and I think public safety is best protected by those with training. We have some issues with our public safety needing more of that training and more accountability to themselves, but that doesn't mean that I'm ready to turn over the safety of our parks and public spaces to those with no training and without the accountability that we have for our safety officers in the city. So in other words, she doesn't think you should be able to protect yourself at all. Which is, again, I want to, let's just go back and let's, let's break this down. I think our community is safer with fewer guns, she says. Now, this particular ordinance doesn't do anything to impact the number of gun owners in the city of Denver, right? It impacts where those legal gun owners and, again, lawful concealed carry holders can actually carry. So Robin Nietzsche may think that her community is safer with fewer guns. 
but this ordinance doesn't do anything to reduce the number of guns in Denver. She said, I think public safety is best protected by those with training. Now, for that, she doesn't mean concealed carry holders, right? I am double-checking here because I am not uh, uh, entirely sure what the training requirement is for concealed carry in Colorado. You know, there are most states do have a training requirement, not all of them. Uh, but you have to submit proof of firearms training within the last 10 years in order to get a concealed carry license. So there is, again, a training requirement in order to get a concealed carry license, but that's not the training that she's talking about. She's talking about law enforcement, right? Law enforcement only. They should be the only ones carrying guns around. And even then, she says, we have issues with law enforcement. They need more training. They need more accountability. But it doesn't mean I'm ready to turn over the safety of our parks and public spaces to those with no training and without the accountability we have for our safety officers in the city. Well, think of it this way, Robin. You're not turning over the safety and security of parks to anyone. Right now, the status quo is that if you are a law-abiding citizen and you possess a valid concealed carry license then you can protect yourself in those public spaces. And what Robin Nietzsche and the other anti-gun Democrats on the Denver City Council want to do is to change the status quo, right? It's not that she's ready to turn over the safety of our parks and public spaces to those with no training. Again, you have to have training to have a concealed carry license, but that is the, it's not how I would put it, but that's the reality in Denver right now. You can protect yourself in a public park. What Robin Nietzsche wants to do is to deny you and anyone else that ability to protect themselves. Nobody, maybe there's somebody out there. I don't know. Maybe his name is Rod. Maybe Rod believes that, you know, we can just get rid of all the police and uh, we can just do it ourselves. I've never really run across a gun owner who has said, we shouldn't have any police at all. But. The police are there to protect and serve the community. They're not there to protect you as an individual. The Supreme Court has made that explicitly clear in a case out of Colorado, ironically enough, called Castle Rock versus Gonzalez. Your individual safety is not the responsibility of law enforcement. It's not the responsibility of your city council. It's not the responsibility of your mayor. Your individual safety and the safety of those you love is your responsibility. Which is fine until politicians like Robin Neach try to deny you your ability to protect yourself in public. And by the way, how are all of Denver's gun control laws working? How about Colorado's gun control laws? I mentioned back in 2013, the state of Colorado passed that ban on large capacity magazines, their uh, ban on, or excuse me, their, uh, yeah, I guess their, their ban on transfers of firearms without a background check, universal background checks. Here's the crime rate in Colorado, and specifically some of the uh, cities in Colorado, going back to 1985. This is a uh, courtesy of the Denver Post, and you can see there Denver is the uh, the line in orange, I guess, to represent the Broncos. And you can see that starting in 2014, that's when crime, well, actually, crime started ticking up in Denver a little bit earlier than that really started ticking up about 2010. But 2014, when the laws took effect, those statewide laws, 
That's when violent crime started increasing, not only in Denver, but you can see that blue line, that's Aurora, really starts shooting up in 2014, starts increasing in Colorado Springs, starts increasing statewide after these gun control laws were put on the books. So the idea, first of all, that uh, you're going to make people safer by refusing to allow them to protect themselves in public spaces is asinine. But we don't have to just, you know, think about and predict the future. We can look at past results and what has happened since Denver and the state of Colorado has put more gun control laws on the books. Violent crime has headed in the wrong direction. Yeah. Which should, again, be enough to uh, convince the Denver City Council members to reject this uh, ban on carrying in public parks and government-owned buildings. But this is Denver. This is Democrat-controlled Denver, and I don't think logic has anything to do with their decision. This is going to be driven by anti-gun animosity, a desire, as Robin Nietzsche said, to ensure that there are fewer guns and fewer gun owners in the city of Denver, and to do everything they can to make it more legally dangerous to exercise a constitutional right. But hey, I mean, you know, listen, uh, if you want to, you know, put the guns down and blaze up instead, uh, you can, you know, find a dispensary on every corner. And I I'd probably even get high in a public park and no one's going to say a thing about it. You can probably even shoot up in a public park. You just can't carry your legally owned firearm, at least uh, not in the near future. Well, for now, you can, but probably not in the future. We will keep our eyes on this story, bring any developments as they become available. Uh, now let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story. Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We will start there with a case out of Birmingham, Alabama, where a man has pleaded guilty to a murder. I don't know why it's called a deadly Birmingham shooting. Just call it a murder. To a murder that he committed when he was 17 years old. And uh, this suspect, Kequan Walker is his name. He's now 21. Ended up taking a guilty plea. uh, Turned himself into the Jefferson County Jail on Monday. He was initially charged with capital murder in the September 25th, 2018 death of 27-year-old Ladarian Jamal Allen. Kequan Martel Walker pleaded guilty to a reduced charge of murder. And Judge Stephen Wallace in Jefferson County, Alabama, sentenced Walker to 20 years in prison with five years to serve. That's right. Five years for murder. Yeah. Um, he also, by the way, is going to get credit for time served in the Jefferson County Jail. We don't know how much time he has spent behind bars, but that could further reduce the amount of time he spends incarcerated for murder by a considerable margin. Um, details of this case, uh, police say that uh, they found Allen laying in the road, suffering from a gunshot wound, who's pronounced dead at the scene. Neighbors told police they heard a loud ruckus in the roadway. They heard several gunshots fired. Investigation showed that the uh, shooting stemmed from an ongoing dispute between Allen and Walker, who were acquaintances, but there's <clears throat> excuse me, no indication that this was self-defense on the part of Walker, who again pleaded guilty to murder, but will be getting out of prison for murder in less than five years. I don't know about you. I'd call that a pretty sweetheart deal, wouldn't you? All right, today's Armed citizen story. San Antonio, where a carjacking suspect was shot at a gas station on the city's north side. This was about 10 o'clock Tuesday morning. Guy in a uh, Honda Accord pulls into the gas station, 
It's a quick trip if you need to know the details. Starts filling up, and according to authorities, a silver pickup truck pulls up alongside the Honda. Guy gets out of the pickup truck and then tries to get into the driver's seat of the Honda and take off. Well, the driver of the Honda, who is, again, by the gas pump, sees what's going on. He runs around, hops in the passenger side of his car. The would-be carjacker then throws the Accord into reverse, backs out, slams into like a rocky median area. The pair begin fighting inside the car, and that's when the owner of the Honda drew his firearm and shot his attacker, who was taken to a local hospital last report in a critical condition. Now, police are investigating. Uh, we don't know all the details. They say that the uh, uh, victim has been questioned by police. No charges have been announced. At this point, it looks like a clear-cut case of self-defense. We'll bring you any more details as it become available. And I did write about this at uh, Bering Arms because we are seeing a, a, a noticeable increase in the number of carjackings around the country. Now, in some cities, it's because there weren't many carjackings. Dallas, Texas, for instance, in 2019 – reported 12 carjackings in the entire city. Uh, in 2021, I believe they had more than 500. Now, Chicago went up from like 600 carjackings over 2,000 carjackings. New York went up from like 115 to over 500. Los Angeles from about 330 to about 550. Uh, you know, the, the numbers are rising. And this is something that I would say, particularly if you live, like, I am blessed to live in a... Very small community, very rural, not a lot of crime to speak of. But if you live in a city or even a, a suburb at this point, um, I think it is really important that you practice situational awareness, that you are looking around when you're, again, doing things that, that you would expect to be distracted. I think it is extra important. That you just kind of glance around, be aware of, of of who is there, who if there's somebody who's not supposed to be there. Obviously, you uh, need to you know put your guard up a little bit more. But um, these crimes are happening with such increasing frequency that I I don't think you can just casually dismiss them. And say ah, that could never happen to me. It could happen to any of us, quite frankly, even those of us who live in safe small towns. Finally, today our uh, good deed of the day. Turlock, California, where a good Samaritan who pulled a man out of a burning car has been identified, although he does not want any public recognition. But we are at least learning a little bit more about this uh, individual's story. And uh, I got to say, it's it's a good one. Uh, Turlock Police Department says the vehicle fire happened back on April 14th of this year. There was a backseat passenger uh, who is stuck inside that car who was rescued by a stranger, who then left. So the Turlock police started looking for him, and they asked anybody with information to come forward. Uh, yesterday, they announced that the man who saved the passenger's life had been in touch with the department. Uh, a friend of his said, you got to go talk to the police. Uh, police say the man, however, refused to be recognized publicly for his bravery and heroism despite the repeated requests. Detective Brandon Bertram said, we were honored to have met and been able to personally thank this hero who risked his own life for another. He saved this victim's life with no regard for his own safety and well-being. The man said that he just knew it was the right thing to do. The victim, uh, or the man who was rescued by that good Samaritan, uh, is currently in a medically induced coma. As he recovers from his burns, the cause and fire 
uh, or the cause of the uh, vehicle fire have not been determined. They don't think it was arson. And again, we uh, likely will never know who that good Samaritan was, but clearly he wasn't doing it for the media attention. As he said, he was doing it because, quote, he just knew it was the right thing to do. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, whoever you are there in Turlock, California, we thank you for your very good deed. And I thank you for being a part of this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. It is always a pleasure to spend some time with you. I'll be back tomorrow with another edition uh, full of the latest segment of news and information that you need to know about. In the meantime, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day for even more news about your right to keep and bear arms. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber as well. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS to get a significant savings on your VIP membership. And as our way of saying thanks for you showing your support for the independent pro segment of journalism we're doing at Bearing Arms, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, analysis, stuff you won't find anywhere else because your support really does matter and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe. I still haven't got this timing quite down yet. You know, I just got to now I got to talk it up to the end of the music just so I can say be free. <laughs> <laughs>